Isaac's got his coffee. All right, come on in. Grab a seat. It's good to be encouraged by the gospel again. Freedom. Freedom. We might hit some of those themes today. You can uh, raise your hand if you need a Bible. We've got our resident Bible hander-outer dude, among other titles. If you have a Bible or you have an electronic device uh, and you want to turn to Matthew 16, you can. I will do the same. Matthew chapter 16. So we were in uh, Matthew 19 last time you were here, if you were here last week. The week before that, we were in Matthew 18. So we haven't finished Matthew 18 We haven't finished Matthew 19, and we won't get through Matthew 16 this morning, which means um, we're a little discombobulated uh, as far as walking through the Scriptures, uh, but we will catch up and catch around. I want to try and walk through a little of this. We also need to do a little... um, a little bit of Easter, Lent things that are coming. Um, there's another topic which I will not divulge at this point, which we will also walk in as a church. So for the next month or so, I just want to let you know you don't know what we're going to be talking about. Um, and sometimes it's nice to know because you can read the scripture ahead of time. Um, so I will let you know what we're doing next week, uh, I'm fairly certain we will do forgiveness next week, which is the second half of Matthew 18. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that topic and that time together. But this morning we're in Matthew 16. So let's. Actually, I will not read this whole passage first. We'll do it verse by verse. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we ask you to do something spiritual. Lord, to do something spiritual in our hearts, to do... To that there would be something that would make a difference, that we would be able to walk in what we believe in a clear conscience, and and that you would grant us the understanding, that you would grant us the power for obedience, that you would interact with us this morning. And Lord, we just tell you, Lord, we recognize we believe crazy things compared to the world. 
Lord, we also tell you, Lord, we have seen you and we expect you. We have heard you before in your word, in the message. And we expect and look for you. What are you going to do, Lord? What are you going to do? We look to you. We thank you for this morning together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is still alive. He's doing ministry. He's been, he, he's been doing ministry for a, two and a half years. He's got about a year left. So he takes a turn at this point, and in these chapters, he's going to turn a little bit, and he's going to spend time with his disciples. So it's a little bit more disciples-focused, and one of the things he is trying to get them to see over and over and over again, and he's going to suffer, he's going to be arrested, he's going to die, he's going to rise from the dead, these, these themes of what's going to happen, Jesus sees really clearly the future. The disciples, even when Jesus tells them, it kind of goes over their head, they do not see the future. So as, we, as you kind of read through these chapters, he takes a turn a little bit toward his disciples. This is the chapter in which Jesus says a word that he hasn't said before, at least in Matthew, between 1 and 16. And the word he says for the first time is the word church. And we will, we will get to that verse. It's a pretty well-known verse. Uh, Upon this rock I will build my church. Now he's talking about building a church. So let's start in um, verse 1. We'll see how far we get. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And every commentary, every teaching, every piece of material that I referenced in view of chapter 16 had the same thought on this verse. And the thought is this. The Pharisees... And the Sadducees hated one another. They represent two different things. One represents the conservatism, and they really love the law and the minutiae of the law and the, the oral law and the counsels of the law and the decisions of the law and the memorizing of the law and the added things they added to the law. And, and they were very conservative. They, they leaned separatist. And the Sadducees, they were liberal in comparison to the conservative Pharisees, and they didn't believe in judgment, and they didn't believe in resurrection and afterlife, and, and they were more political. They would associate with the Romans, and they would associate with the Gentiles and people that the Pharisees wouldn't associate. And so there's these two groups of people that both claim godliness, that are both powerful in society, that people follow and and they are like the Democrats and the Republicans. So you're reading the Democrats and the Republicans came together in unity. That's what you're reading in verse 1. And what in the world would unite these two groups of people? They're not too happy with Jesus. And they want to test Jesus, the common enemy who is it that said? A common enemy makes strange bedfellows? Somebody. Somebody famous said that. I'm not the originator. 
So, why did they ask for a sign? So they're asking for a sign from heaven. So there's a thought. So what they want is to look up into the sky and to see something awesome happen. A sign from heaven. They, they have this idea that if there's miracles done down on earth, they can, be, they can be done by Satan. But if something happens up in the sky, that means it's from heaven and it's from God. And so they reject all the miracles that Jesus has been doing. And it's kind of like there's a contrast here between the, the crowds, and they're kind of following Jesus, and they're believing Jesus. And, but then there's these leaders, and they're doing the opposite. And let's, let's just get a feel for some of the things Jesus is doing. If you want to look on the same page here in Matthew 15... Let's read verses, verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them so that the crowd wondered, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That's awesome. Signs. Jesus is doing signs. Jesus is doing signs everywhere. After this, he heals 4,000. Verse 2, chapter 16. He answered them when they asked for a sign. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. My grandfather liked boats, and... And he had a saying that many have. And it is this. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. And he taught that to me when I was a kid so that I could read the weather at age eight or whatever age I was. And, and what's he telling these guys? He's telling you guys, you guys are good weathermen. You can tell the future. You know where you are in comparison to the weather. But you have completely missed the spiritual. You have completely missed the signs. Jesus is raising people from the dead. He's regrowing limbs on people. He's helping people see, and they're missing all of it spiritually. And he says, you guys, you guys can read the weather. You know where you are in the weather, but the signs of the times you don't know. And when he says times there, he's talking about like a season, like a, 
like an epoch. It's like, where are you in redemptive history? And what he's saying is, you don't understand that the Messiah is here, that it's the time of the Messiah, and I'm holding you accountable because you could have known. You could have known because of prophecy, and you could have known because of circumstances, and you could have known because of evidence, and you could have, could have known because of the signs. You could have known because I'm the sign. You could have known if you researched my birth. They could have known for so many reasons, and Jesus is saying, guys, don't see it. And in fact, later he pronounces a judgment on, on the whole nation because they did not recognize their visitation. They didn't recognize where they were. And I don't know what you predict. You predict the, the stock market or the housing market or the trends coming up. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you don't know. You don't know the signs of the times. And do we know the signs of the times? Where are we in redemptive history? And where we are in redemptive history is it's almost time. It's almost the end of time. We are almost out of time. Some of the things the Bible says will happen near the end is, have happened. Israel becoming a nation again, being regathered to its land. That, that is supposed to have happened near the end. That happened. The Hebrew is spoken in the land. The gospel is going out to the unreached faster and farther, and unreached peoples are hearing about Jesus Christ and his gospel. in more incredible ways and faster ways than have ever happened in all of time in history. And we are near the end in redemptive history. Do we know our spot in history? And do we act accordingly? Verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. The sign of Jonah. What would be the sign of Jonah? Kind of interesting. And I had a list. I can find it. Jesus was three days and three nights away from everybody. Jonah was three days away from everyone, and then he comes back, and Jesus comes back. Jonah died, or died, was thrown into the water, sacrificed himself for others on the boat. You can come up with lists of the way Jonah is like Jesus. And when Jesus was three days gone and comes back and resurrects, did the 
Pharisees get it, that they understand the sign. And it is no. Because they're in an evil and adulterous generation. And when, when people are of the heart that they go, I want a sign or else I won't believe. It's an evil heart. The audacity to say that to Jesus, especially when the last thing he did is feed 4,000 people and spend a day on a mountain healing people. And I have experienced this in kind of doing evangelism. You talk to someone and they'll say, I, I will only follow Jesus if he does this thing. I will only believe Jesus if I see this thing. And you go, okay, well, let's, let's pray for that. And he does it. Sometimes Jesus humbles himself so much, he does it. But the person still doesn't believe. Because often it betrays a heart. Asking for a sign betrays a heart that does not want to follow. It only wants to test. And it moves on to the next thing. The heart, the evil heart moves on to the next thing that they want Jesus to do. Let's keep going. Verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay. Not bringing bread is kind of a big deal. There's no fast food restaurants. So they didn't bring bread, and so they're going to be hungry. This is also a mistake. The disciples are supposed to handle the administration for Jesus. They're supposed to take care of these things because Jesus kind of has his mind on the crowd all the time. And there's a bunch of, like, there's a bunch of people here that want to eat, and they should have brought bread, and they understand it's this mistake. Now, um, uh, and they began discussing themselves. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But then Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you have little faith. And we'll read that in a moment. The disciples completely missed what Jesus is saying about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So leaven is a rising agent, but it's actually corrupting. It's a symbol of evil and sin and corruption. And so, and so Jesus is saying, be watch of this sin and evil and corruption. And he, he expects his disciples to follow that analogy, to kind of follow along, but they don't follow at all. And, and it makes me wonder how often they were completely lost with Jesus. Um, because they hear Jesus say this and somebody goes, oh, oh, I think I know this one. He's mad at us that we didn't bring bread. And then somebody else goes, no, 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 no. He doesn't want us to take the bread from the Pharisees because their yeast is bad and we might get sick. Like, that's the kind of thing they were saying. They were completely on this non-spiritual level, this completely on this human level, and this happened around Jesus all the time. I think of the woman at the well. Jesus is talking about living water that he is, and she's like, hey, I don't want to come to the well all the time, so I want that water. 
and she's on the wrong plane. And Nicodemus is on the wrong plane when talking about being born again. He's like, how do I crawl into my mother's womb? And you're like, did you really just say that? Jesus is on a spiritual level in the way he is interpreting the world around him, in the way he is speaking about the world around him. And it's kind of encouraging because the disciples made a bunch of mistakes and they weren't the, they, they're not presented here as like super sharp tacks and maybe we can kind of view ourselves as similar. Um, then he rebukes them. In verse 8. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? And I think that is a very reasonable question. On the same page, let's read here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am willing to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat. So here we are. They have seen Jesus feed 5,000 men and plus women and children. So 5,000 families, they saw. They saw him. They picked up 12 basketfuls for the 12 tribes of Israel. They, they experienced that. They did it. They saw it. So now, there's this, almost the same thing as that there's less crowds. So does that take more faith or less faith? Less, I would think. And Jesus looks at them. And what does Jesus want them to say? Jesus wants them to say, Jesus, you could feed them. Or they want to go, they, they could say, Jesus, what are you going to do? They could say, Jesus, this is a hard situation, but I trust in you, wink, wink. Like anything that would be expecting Jesus to do what he just did, I mean, two chapters ago. Jesus wants them so much, and we do the same thing, right? We've experienced God in a situation, and he's come through for us. And then we hit the next situation, and we don't go, oh, I've been here before. And we freak out again. And Jesus comes through for us again. And so, in the last, in the last two and a half, two chapters, Jesus has fed 40,000 people bread. The disciples have administrated it, and they have picked up all this bread 
in baskets full. They've seen it all. And they're in a boat of 12 people. And they're going, we didn't bring any bread. And I go, guys, guys. And then I look at my life. I look at my life. And I think about all the times of provision that I've been in need and Jesus has come through, and Jesus has come through, and Jesus has come through, and God has come through, and all the ways that I have been provided for, and I can tell stories, and God is so good to me. And then I go, oh no, but I think about the future, and is there going to be money there between age 75 and 85 when I've lost my mind? Or when I'm gone, enough for my wife, and I worry, and I go, Jesus has just taken care of me for the past 45 years. What am I even doing thinking this way? What are you even doing? We're supposed to remember the ways Jesus has provided for us. The way Jesus has entered a situation. And when we enter a new situation, to look up to God and go, God, what are you going to do? Because that's who we serve and that's what he wants and that's what he expects out of the disciples. He expects faith out of them. He did one of these miracles for 5,000 in Jewish territory, one of them in Gentile territory. He's shown himself. He's done it. All right, verse 9. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood. Oh, praise the Lord. That's encouraging to me. I can understand. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Teaching, depending on your translations, could be teaching or could be doctrine. And what is doctrine? It, it's a value system. You come here and you hear a value system. You read the Bible and there's a, a value system. What is conveyed as truth, what is conveyed as real, that's a doctrine. Now, what would be the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they should beware of? Well, for us, that'll be a little bit of conjecture. But I think, for one, I think, I think legalism is going to be one of them. Because for the Pharisees, it was about the right holidays, and the right regulations, and the oral law, and the councils that interpreted the law, and the Sabbath and the dates, and the holidays. 
and what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And, and when I look through the New Testament, that's a big deal all the way through. The people that are trying to come in on the gospel, and Paul says, hey, this is about freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we sang about freedom this morning, that the Christian life is joy and peace and righteousness in Christ Jesus. That is the Christian, that's the Christian life. And people want to bring in regulations, and they want to bring in do this and don't do this and get circumcised. But the Christian church is, the, is not about regulations. It's not about circumcision then or anything like that today. I love this verse. Um, and if you want to put it up, Colossians. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Another verse. Extra rules, harshness, sobriety in my Christian life against sin. Sometimes there's the opposite effect. Paul had to fight these guys off in the New Testament. He did not want the disciples getting into the, uh, the doctrine, the teaching of the Pharisees. You know, we really need to beware of the spirit of only us in the room. Only us who are worthy. Only us who have been chosen we are a special kind of community. The Pharisees really b- believed that the Jewish nation was, was chosen and that, that was it. They're, they were the closed circle and they didn't have any intention of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were on the outside. So there's a pride, there's a self-righteousness there that Jesus can't have in his kingdom certainly can't have with his disciples. So he warns them against the teaching of the Pharisees. On the other side, he war- I think he warns them against the teaching of the Sadducees, which is liberal. And you run into these people who are kind of like, I go to church, but you know the miracles of Christ. I don't know if Jesus really did miracles, and he certainly doesn't do miracles or anything today, and I certainly can't live my life like he's going to show up and do anything, and it's like this liberalism. It's like the spirit of unbelief. And if you want to get anything done, if you want to do anything, it's got to, be, it's got to be in the ways of the world. It's got to be political. It's got to be with power, not with love. Like, like Jesus. And so he warns them. And Jesus, Jesus is very strong against false teaching. The whole New Testament is really strong against false teaching. Jesus is going to unleash woes against the Pharisees. You know, in Jude, Jude talks about saving people 
out of the world, saving people out of false teaching and other ideas. And he says that you don't even want to let your, let your, your clothing be stained by corrupted flesh. You need to be careful. What we allow ourselves to listen to. What we, uh, what we linger with. The amount of, like, I think about TV. And sometimes I weigh, how much TV do I take in versus how much word do I take in? Faith comes by hearing I need to be careful what I hear and in what quantity. I want to be, the word is the bread of life. And I want to be in the word more than anything. That's what I want to have faith in. That's what I want to drive my mental train and my mental faculties. A whole body can be lost to false teaching. A whole loaf of bread lost to yeast, a whole organism, a whole lineage of churches, a whole generation of churches can be lost to false teaching. Sometimes I think about the Reformers. Luther, Calvin, um, Tyndale, all those guys, they believed without a shadow of a doubt in their mind that the Pope was the Antichrist. Unbelievable that the church in the world at that time was from the evil one. Well, how did we get there? False teaching. False teaching that went through the whole dough. We just need to watch. Just need to watch. Okay, let's keep let's keep moving. All right. Uh, okay. We will. Let's just read some of this because it's encouraging. Make some last comments. Verse thirteen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Lots of interesting things here that we will not get to today. But just, just some, some thoughts. Sea of Galilee, 25 miles northeast, is where they went, Caesarea Philippi. 
They walked the 25 miles, so that took them a while to get up there. But this is kind of a retreat. It's kind of a retreat. It's a significant place. This is the headwaters of the Jordan River that comes right down through the middle of Israel into the Sea of Galilee, out the Sea of Galilee, down the Dead Sea. It is the river in Israel. And he brought them up there because it is a place, it is a crazy place. A place it was believed was the pathway of the underworld. So there was some evil because they were believed it was connected to the underworld. There was also the uh, temple to Pan. Uh, there was a Baal. There was a temple to Caesar, the god. There was this, this crazy place. There was this big old cave that is now smaller because of an earthquake, but it's still there. It's still there, and you're in front of this huge cliff, and I just view this scene as like, okay, we've got this cliff, and with the sin, and these people, and there's all these religions, and Jesus brings them right there to contrast all these other beliefs, and what do you believe? And he asks them the intro question, who do people say I am? And they have all these answers, because people do have all these answers, and we could go through why people had all these answers, but the real question Jesus wanted to get at is, who do you say I am? That's the question. It's a retreat with one question. Who do you say I am? Well, not exactly who do you say I am. He said, who do you think the Son of Man is? We can Read Peter's response. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus says, Who's the Son of Man? Peter says, You're the Son of God. Almost has the opposite answer. And Jesus is really excited about this. You finally got it. God didn't, or God revealed this to you and the Messiah. He's anointed one smeared one, full of oil. He is the one that is, they have been waiting for. And all those answers of all those people, some of them were spiritual and some of them were not, but all the answers never went as far as Peter went. And I think he threw in living God. You are the son of the living God because he's looking over all these temples and all those are dead God. You, Jesus, are the living God. You didn't figure this out on your own, Peter. It was a revelation. It was a, revel it was a revelation. And we'll come back to this passage and walk through the intricacies of it. But he tells Peter, he's going to open the doors of salvation. And have the keys to the kingdom. And that is a door open to us now. The door of salvation is open to us on the truth that Jesus is the Son of the living God. The truth that the whole church is built on, is surrounded on, is, is, is comes together. The church is a group of people that comes together on that truth, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so here, here we are. 
together with a truth that unites us. And that truth, that's real symboli- that's symbolized here this morning for us in communion. That Jesus was body and his blood provided for us forgiveness. And it was a sacrifice for us. Are you, those truths, those are the truths that brought you to salvation. Those are the truths that brought you new life. Those are the truths to celebrate. Those are the truths to remember. Your atonement through the body and blood of Jesus. And you take communion and you, it's like you take those truths into yourself and you commune with Jesus. And we do it together. We have a unity as we share in the body and the blood and in Jesus. And traditionally, the time of communion has been a time where we examine ourselves, confess sin, and repent. And so the way we do that here is um, is as... We pass out bread and, and new wine, grape juice, and, and we give a couple minutes of silence for people to confess, people to repent, people to remember Jesus, people to commune with Jesus for your individual faith to be expressed as you take communion while recognizing the body and blood of the Lord. And so we, we really view it as a, as a salvation is not, as, uh, not a corporate thing, but an individual thing. And so what we're going to do now is we'll pass out uh, the elements and then, um, and then Mike will play some background music for us, we'll have a time of quiet, and then afterwards will be our communal time. And in our communal time, we pray out like we did during worship, we'll read passages that have to do with the truths of of communion, and we will together revel in Jesus Christ and his death for us, and specifically his death for the church. So, um, you may take the bread and the cup uh, whenever you feel led in these couple minutes, and then we'll pray together. Father Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is our that is our unity, that is our truth, that is our forgiveness and salvation and atonement and righteousness. And peace and joy, freedom in Christ Jesus.
Lord, we, we pray and we revel in these truths together. If anyone has a, a prayer to pray or a passage to read, uh, let's do that now. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Lord Jesus, Father, we... We are expectant of that day when we will drink it with you in your kingdom. I thank you that you are waiting for us. I thank you that you provided a way for us, an open door for us. Lord, to walk into you, Lord Jesus, to walk into heaven, to walk into your trinity. Lord, I thank you that you died for us. Lord, you are worthy. All the servants and all the elders will take off their crowns and they'll bow down before you. You're the one who is worthy of glory and honor and praise. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks.